Thanks for listening to the Faith Radio podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. I'm Carmen LaBurge. I hope you enjoy. Merry Christmas. We're looking back at some of our important conversations this past year. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's um, it's two days after Christmas. It's still Christmas tide or Christmas time. So you are listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for the gift of this time together. Let me lead off with the question that I, I just am very prone and love to ask. Where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? I want us to be in the word of God in order that um, when we get out there into the world that God so loves, we can be full of grace and truth. That's, um, it's imperative. It's imperative, right? The world is going to squeeze us. So something's going to come out of us when the world squeezes us. And I would very much like for that to be grace and truth. So we got to be filled up with the word of God in order that what comes out of us when the world squeezes us is grace and truth. Good. Amen. So today's growing your faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter two. And this is the beginning of the conversation about the magi, the the wise men. So Matthew chapter two, verses one and two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So lots of you have asked tons of questions about the Magi. Who are they? Where are they from? What's this all about? How did they know to be looking for the star? So to understand who these Magi were and why they would have been looking for and recognized and then set out to seek the king born under this particular natal star, we have to turn back in history, way back um, in the Bible, to the person and the prophecies of Daniel. So Daniel, you might remember, was the son of Jewish nobility. He was a teenager in Jerusalem when it was besieged and taken over by the Babylonians. So we're talking here about 605 BC, talking about a long time ago. And the Bible describes Daniel as a a righteous man of princely lineage. Um, Daniel never returned to his home, but he faithfully served God as a conscripted person under first the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, then the Medes, and then the Persians. Suffice it to say, it was a really dynamic time of political regime change in the region. And Daniel um, rose to a significant position of responsibility um, over the course of time. So it would have taken Daniel months, months to travel from Judea to Babylon. We really can't fully imagine what he endured. Um, We don't know if his parents... um, survived. We don't, we don't know what happened to his family. Um, we do know that Daniel has some friends of a similar age who were with him as well. Um, this would have been the first of the Babylonian captivities that are recorded in the Bible. Uh, and, and so you could imagine that, you know, Daniel might lose heart, but he didn't. 
He didn't. Daniel was groomed for service in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He learned the language, the literature, the customs of the people and the place. And over time, Daniel became a very trusted advisor to the king. Daniel was a person of of character, of integrity. The Bible tells us that um, his his um, abilities, his strength came from God, right? This is not, you know, Daniel wasn't ginning this up himself. Um, Daniel was, uh, was a person who was given over to the Lord. So the Bible records several places where Daniel really just cries out in his prayers, um, these heart cries. He pleaded with God for, uh, for his people. He pleaded that the captivity might end. He pleaded that the temple in Jerusalem might be rebuilt. And God blessed Daniel with this revelation of the coming Messiah, and Daniel shared that promise with others. And over the course of time, that, that is the prophecy that the Magi are relying on 600 years later when, um, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So Daniel would have been familiar with the prophecies of Isaiah, which describe the nations of the world recognizing Israel as the light of the world and celebrating the gifts of, um, of, of great value that would be brought to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, Daniel would have shared the prophecy of Isaiah with the Magi of his day, and they would have had Daniel's um, prophetic words as well. So the Magi, um, you may be wondering, like, who are these guys? Um, they, they are, like, literally the, you know, the smarty pants people of the day. Um, so they have a knowledge of science and agriculture and mathematics and history. And yes, they have a knowledge of the occult. They are called magi. Uh, it's the, where we get the word magician. Their religious and political influence grew um, until they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the Medo-Persian um, and subsequently the Babylonian Empire. So we see them in, uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, we see them in the book of Esther. Um, we see them referred to in the prophecies of Jeremiah. So we learn from the book of Daniel that the Magi were among some of the highest ranking officials in Babylon. And because the, the Lord gave Daniel the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that none of these other court seers were able to do, Daniel was then appointed, quote, ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over who? The wise men of Babylon. So these Magi who are talked about in Matthew chapter 2, they would have been, generations later, 600 years later, the recipients of the passed along, handed down heritage of knowledge um, from the days of Daniel. So just think about that. Just think about that for a minute. Because of Daniel's high position and the great respect that he had, um, it seems almost certain that the Magi would have learned the prophecies about the coming king of Israel, the God of Israel, um, his plan to redeem people through the coming of a glorious king. And so it's, it, I think it's fascinating and, and interesting and significant that the faithfulness of a teenager who loved God, and even though he was um, taken away from his family and his homeland, he was so faithful to God in the place where um, ultimately he served out his entire life. 
um, as a conscripted person. He did so with such honor and dignity, and God revealed to him prophecies that we then see unfold, not only in the person of Jesus, but we see acknowledged by the Magi who come and bow down at Jesus's manger throne. It's not uncommon um, for people to talk about the fact that wise men still seek Jesus today. And so maybe for you and I, that's one of the things that we can consider. How, um, how can we seek Jesus today? How far would we go? How far out of our way? What gifts would we bring? What prophecies would we rely on? Would we recognize the fulfillment of, um, of God's promises? Are we looking? Are we looking today for the second advent of Jesus? Are we ready? Are we waiting? Do we know what to expect? In the person of Jesus, um, we, we receive salvation. And then at the ascension of Jesus, God sends the Holy Spirit um, to inhabit believers. And so when we talk about the gifts that arrive with the Holy Spirit, um, let's unpack a few more of those today during our time together. You're listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. And we are spending some time um, opening the gifts that arrive in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so let me encourage you to, um, to consider the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come with the Spirit of the living God. Well, what'd you get for Christmas? Have you uh, unwrapped all your gifts? We still have a little Christmas ahead of us in the first week of January with some of our family that couldn't get here in time for the actual date of Christmas, but that's okay. Christmas is a season anyway, right? This is, in fact, the 12 days of Christmas that we're in the midst of right now. I hope you are continuing to celebrate the good gift of God wrapped in human flesh that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. We've been unwrapping the gifts that come with the gift of God's Holy Spirit. If you have received Jesus, then you have received his Holy Spirit as well. And so the Spirit operates within us, delivering um, not only all of the things that come with the Spirit, but gifts as well. We call them spiritual gifts. We started talking about them uh, earlier this week. And we have talked already about administration and apostolic ministry. We've talked about craftsmanship and creative communication. We've talked about discernment and evangelism. If you missed any part of those uh, conversations, you can go back and listen to them at MyFaithRadio.com under the podcast for Mornings with Carmen. So let's uh, let's talk today about um, the next gift on my list. And again, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit that appear in the Scriptures. I don't consider any of these lists to be exhaustive. I um, I understand them to be illustrative. You can find them in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. You can find a list in uh, the book of Ephesians as well. There are gifts that are manifested by God's people, the scriptures, and it's an opportunity for us to consider ones that we have seen and therefore ones that we could expect to experience as well. So the next um, spiritual gift that comes in our unwrapping series here is exhortation. Exhortation. Um, What is the spiritual gift of exhortation? 
It means to call near. It also means to come alongside or to incite by word. It means to, well, exhort. This is actually one of my primary um, spiritual giftings, uh, exhortation. So it is an ability that's given by God to stimulate faith and to stimulate the growth of faith in others through encouragement or comfort or urging others to action. I'm probably much better at the encouragement and the urging than I think of myself in terms of the comfort, but some of you have said that you have found great comfort, particularly in the times when we pray together. And so um, thank you for those words of encouragement that I get from you as well. Let me make some observations about the spiritual gift of exhortation. Um, First of all, people with this spiritual gift, we are optimistic. We're full of hope. Um, we, uh, We tend to have a pretty upbeat attitude toward things, even though we recognize, we recognize the reality of the brokenness of the world in which we live. So people are um, exhorting others because we operate out of an understanding that this is not how it is supposed to be. We are not how we are supposed to be, that we live in a fallen world as fallen and sinful people, and that God is calling us to a higher righteousness. God is calling us to be the very ambassadors of his kingdom here in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Now, I will say that those of us who have this spiritual gift tend to freely give our advice, um, even though it's not necessarily solicited. But I can tell you that we do it out of a heart of desiring to see others grow, to see people encouraged. We like to relate real life experiences, um, and we like to parallel those with God's truth. Like, right, our aim is to encourage, um, and in order to do that, we need to bring the truth about God to bear on the realities of human life. So that's exhortation. And if that's what you experience here on Mornings with Carmen, then you could probably confirm that um, this is one of my spiritual gifts. The next gift we're going to talk about is the gift of faith. Here, um, we, we, might, we might think really broadly about this, because there are those who would argue faith is not a gift. If it were, then um, why would Jesus be surprised to find it, right? Um, so faith is that which is cultivated. Faith is also um, something that we are convinced of and rely upon. That's actually the core meaning of the word faith. It is to be convinced of something, to rely upon it, to lean upon it. And it's an ability, faith is, an, is, is the ability in this context. We talk about faith in this way. Faith in this context is this ability that's given by God to recognize in a given situation that God is present, what God intends to do, and to trust him until it comes to pass. So are you a person of faith and are you a person who is possessed of the spiritual gift of faith? Those are good questions to ask ourselves as we unwrap the gifts of of the Holy Spirit this Christmas season. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is an app, but TikTok is also the reality of the year winding down to the end. So we're making lists. We're checking them twice. Things done, things left undone, gifts given, gifts we still need to buy. Would you help us with a gift before the end of the year? Time is ticking away, and this ministry is not possible without you. So I'm wondering if before the end of the year, you would make your best tax-deductible gift to support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps the good news in front of more people, everywhere, all the time, anywhere, accessible through the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes 
or by giving today at MyFaithRadio.com. TikTok. Picking up where we left off in our conversation, unwrapping the gifts that come with the gift of the Holy Spirit this Christmas. Are you unwrapping the gifts of God this Christmas? And and if so, how so? Um, are each day, what we're doing is uh, we're taking the gifts that come with the Holy Spirit. We're just unwrapping them. We're considering them one by one. I'd love for you to consider which of these gifts you believe God has given you by the power of his present Holy Spirit. So again, faith is... Um, Faith is a wonderful gift of God. We see it expressed maybe uh, most readily in the life of Daniel. If you want to read about the expression of faith in the lives of believers uh, in times past, Hebrews chapter 11 is a good place to read about faith expressed in in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And now we come to the gift of giving. And you say to yourself, what? Giving is a gift? Yep. Giving is a gift. Now, along with uh, gifts like evangel- evangelism, uh, every believer is expected to express giving as a part of um, our gratitude to God for the indescribable gift we have in salvation in Jesus Christ. But giving is also a particular gift in the same way that evangelism is a particular gift. There are those who give in a way that um, is different than the ways the rest of us give. And so the core meaning um, of the spiritual gift of giving is, well, you might not find this surprising, it's to give, to actually give, to hand it over. And people who are possessed of this spiritual gift, they have this ability to acquire and then contribute resources for the extending of God's kingdom in ways that are supernatural. Um, And so where each and every one of us uh, are required to give, you know, our tithes and offerings, people who have the spiritual gift of giving, God has um, blessed in a particular way to both acquire and gather in and then contribute or redistribute those resources for the expanding and the extending of God's kingdom here on earth. These are people who uh, have a supernatural ability, frankly, to make money and then to supply those resources for kingdom expanding purposes. I think there's a caution here. Um, I think the caution would be that um, sometimes the church relies heavily um, in terms of its direction upon people who have a lot of wealth. And just because a person has the capacity to generate a lot of wealth does not necessarily mean they're operating out of the spiritual gift of giving. And so we want to, we just, as in all things, we want to be spiritually discerning Um, But we want to be sure that when we talk about this particular spiritual gift, we're talking about God operating in the heart of a person and God's spirit operating in a way that moves them um, to give in extraordinary ways, particularly for the advancement of God's kingdom purposes and not um, some other uh, prideful agenda. Joseph of Arimathea might be a person that you would look to in the scriptures in terms of this spiritual gift of giving. And then there's the gift of healings. I think this is probably where we get into some of the controversial conversations of the day. But I want you to consider that the spiritual gift of healing um, is not only real and was not only given in uh, in the days uh, of the apostles, but that it is a gift that God continues to pour out. He's the great physician. 
And he continues to equip and empower people to heal. Some people do it professionally. Some people do it as um, a part of their natural abilities uh, or their work, their vocation. Others do it as a spiritual exercise through this supernatural ability given by God to restore health and wholeness to a person. I, I would love it if people in counseling ministries possessed the spiritual gift, empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit, to heal. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's the kind of spiritual counselor I want, a person who would help me um, return to health and wholeness in terms of my mind and my heart. And then for them, it was a genuine expression of God's work in their life. I mean, wouldn't that be great? So when we talk about um, the gift of healing, we're talking about, in Scripture, the gift of healings. When you see this word in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 9, 28, and 30, you will see that it is in the plural form. The word is used in the plural. This is the gift of healings. I think that indicates various kinds of healings available through the spiritual gift, physical, emotional, spiritual. These are people who operate out of compassion and a desire to see people made well. They recognize the brokenness of the world. They recognize um, the, the hurt that we experience in the world, and they desire for us to be healed and made whole. And then there's the gift of helps. What does the gift of helps look like? Well, it's bringing relief. It is um, actually delivering relief to another person to help. What does helping look like in the culture today? Who are the helpers? We say sometimes when a tragedy occurs, hey, look for the helpers. Well, what does help look like? I'm thinking here that there are times that we think we're helping, but really our helping ultimately hurts. People who are possessed of the spiritual gift of helps, their helping never hurts because their helps are always aligned with um, the will of God uh, for people to be um, relieved of their suffering. So you might think of helps as a supernatural ability that's given by God to unselfishly, unselfishly relieve others um, of of all kinds of challenges, needs, even responsibilities, right? Um, so the person who helps comes alongside to do something that needs doing without being asked in order that other people can be set free to do the things that they are spiritually gifted to do. So I want you to think about that for a moment as a different way of thinking about the spiritual gift of help. It's the person who comes along and does something that they see needs to be done in order to free other people up to go and operate in their spiritual gifts. Are you a helper of that kind? Do you see needs and do you go and you meet those needs or do those duties or take care of those things in order that other people can be freed up to do the things that they are spiritually gifted and therefore called to do? The person who has the spiritual gift of helps actually has a unique ability to see how others need to be helped. And so we want to be pray, praying for uh, those who have the spiritual gift of helps because um, these are these are people who make it possible for the rest of us to do what we are uniquely gifted and called by God to do. Do you have a desire to help others accomplish tasks in practical ways? Are you willing to do the little things that need doing in order that other things could be done um, by, by other people? 
Are you a practical servant that releases others to operate more fully in their gifts? If so, then there's a pretty good chance you have the spiritual gift of helps. When we think about unwrapping the gifts that come with the Holy Spirit, remember it starts by receiving the indescribable gift that God has sent in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you say to yourself, as you know, as we're having these conversations about spiritual gifts, well, I would like to have a spiritual gift. I don't, do I have a spiritual gift? If you are a believer in Jesus and you have received him as your Savior and Lord, then the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And with the arrival of the Holy Spirit comes, by God's grace, spiritual gifts. I don't know how many, but I know you have at least one. You probably have a gift mix. That's uh, how it tends to work out among um, most believers. And so if you think uh, to yourself as we go through these, do I um, have the gift of administration? Is it for me something that is not a labor but a joy? It comes quite um, naturally to me. I can see how to organize things. Do I see the edges of where God is working um, to advance his kingdom purposes? If so, maybe you have the spiritual gift of apostolic ministry. Are you good with your hands and enjoy crafting things that glorify God and make it possible for others to um, to see him and hear him and worship him as well? Maybe craftsmanship or creative communication are your spiritual gifts. Do you have the gift of discernment? Are you able to see what others cannot about the days in which we live and help them connect the truth to the realities in which we walk? Do you have the gift of evangelism or exhortation? Or as we have discussed today, the gift of faith, giving, healings, or helps. As we unwrap the gifts of the Holy Spirit during uh, this Christmas season, I would encourage you to first and foremost receive and unwrap the indescribable gift God sends wrapped in human flesh this Christmas. His name is Jesus, and he came as a gift to you. This is Mornings with Carmen, a special edition during this holiday week. I hope you are finding special ways to continue to celebrate Christmas. It is Christmas tide after all. So thank you so much for joining us. There's lots of resources available for you at myfaithradio.com. If you haven't already signed up to join us in reading the Bible together, reading through the Bible together in 2024, I'd invite you to do that um, today. We will email you the first 14 days and then we'll um, we'll have the opportunity to actually send you the entire um, uh, study after that. But you, you can you can still join us and that would be great. We're going to start together on January the 1st. So don't miss out. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up to join us in reading the Bible um, in its entirety in 2024. It'd be a great discipline for all of us. We're going to talk now about men and women. That's right. We know that God created us in his image, male and female. He created us. Genesis one twenty seven affirms that. But what does that mean? What does that mean? We live in a day and a time when there's just a whole lot of confusion on the on the identity front, on the men and women front. So what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? What does the Bible say and what kind of guidance does the Bible have for us as men and women? Um. You may have experienced some teaching that has led you to believe that God thinks less of women than he does of men, or that somehow men are superior to women. But that's not true. So how do we sort out the lies of the culture from the truth of God's good design and the redemptive plan as men and women? Well, Matt Fuller wrote a whole book on it. It's called Reclaiming Masculinity, 
And we've got copies to give away today. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing and enjoy the conversation with Matt Fuller um, as we grow in grace together as Christian men and Christian women. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Joining us now, Matt Fuller, author of Reclaiming Masculinity. Matt, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning or indeed afternoon from the UK to you, Carmen. Yes, well, uh, good afternoon. Did you have tea yesterday with our president? Uh, he didn't stop by. It's a bit of a shame. Although our church is only about five minutes from um, Buckingham Palace, actually, so pretty central. But he still didn't make the time. Wow! I wish he had, because um, you would have had many things to share with him, and it would have been great. Um, let's talk uh, today about finishing the sentence. Not only the sentence, "What does it mean to be a man?" but finishing the sentence, "What does it mean to be a godly man?" Yeah, the um, it's I, I I started down this road because um, would you want me to answer the question straight away, or do you give you some context to it? <laughs> the um, you... I realised that most, most guys uh, we've got a normal age spread, I guess, at church here, but a couple of hundred will be in their sort of twenties uh, guys, and I thought I realised not many of them had an answer to that sentence in, in a culture post Me Too. Uh, in the UK, we had this big thing, everyone's invited, which was a, a bit of a scandal about uh, aggressive sexual behaviour by boys in uh, high school. And people, a lot of guys being told, you should, basically, you just need to apologise for being a man. Um, and not many were willing to answer the sentence. Um, I did a, <clears throat> a quick straw poll in church one Sunday night and said, OK, hands up if you think men and women are different. And most hands went up. Um, some people were a bit nervous. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Second question. Okay, just write down one difference. Okay. All right, anyone have who's written down something? And not half the room. Uh, and no one, of course, was. No, I mean, it's a big old room, so no one's going to stand up and say it. But the the nervousness. What am What am I allowed to say? Um, mm. Shouldn't I be saying sorry for being a man? Um, and I thought, oh, we well, got a problem here because uh, if there's a vacuum, it gets filled. And uh, in a culture where men aren't sure what it means to be a man anymore, particularly on the younger end, okay, particularly sub-30s, I, I think the, the older people get, 40, 50-year-olds, they're a bit more confident. 60-year-olds, pretty happy with being a man. But the younger end, a bit nervous. Um, if you don't say something, and if you don't say something biblically, People turn elsewhere, and so you get these extraordinary characters such as an Andrew Tate with millions and millions viewing some pretty unpleasant material with, you know, 2 3% of, of, of sensible comment, but, you know, a lot of it, guy, I-I-I, pretty unpleasant, misogynistic. But that's where people will turn because he's saying something. And if you don't say something, if you just all sit nervously, um, you've got a problem. So uh, in one sense, Carmen, all I've done in this book is reclaiming masculinity. Why? Because I, I think it's uh, you, you shove masculinity into something like Amazon and the word toxic will come up. Toxic masculinity. Mm. You get about 40, 50 books straight away with that in the title or the subtitle. Hold on. Can we just reclaim masculinity? It's a good thing. Uh, God is a good creator. He made men. He made women. There is a good way of being a man. Let's reclaim masculinity in a biblical sense and 
let's not overstate it um, because then you get into trouble as well. Let, let's try and pull apart what the Bible says from different cultures because quite often we add a big old thick slab of cultural veneer on top and say that's you have to be like this to be a man. Um, let's just, just try and pull it apart a little bit. And in one sense, lots of, you know, what do I have, seven principles? None of them, I think. I think this book could have been written most, 50% of this book could have been written 500 years ago because it's just what does the Bible say? Now, now working it out in 21st century culture, that, that takes a little more thought. So that's probably the other half in one sense. Um, but, yeah, so I want to – yeah, go for it. I want to I want to jump into the principles because I do think that although you think they maybe are self-evident, they're absolutely worth um, talking about and talking through because I don't think that they're necessarily self-evident to young men in a culture um, that has been telling them um, it's only okay for women to be masculine. It's not actually okay for, for men to be masculine. And we're just like, it's so crazy and confused. So... Principle number one is men and women really are different. And then you have in parentheses, but don't exaggerate. So we are of a kind, men and male and female. We are of a kind, humankind, but we are different. Can you can you celebrate that here for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once it's here, you, you, you go back to creation and um, uh, that is not culturally bound. <laughs> uh, Genesis 1 two and three, that, that's timeless. That's creation, right? And so God clearly makes men and women different. And, and there are differences either pretty explicit in the text in terms of um, what it means. Well, I don't want to drift into the other ones, but uh, in terms of the, the responsibility that uh, Adam is given and Eve is not, um, men and women are different. And and that carries through the, the whole Bible. One of the one of the passages to which, to my surprise, when I was thinking about this, I, I found most useful, which was a surprise to me, actually, was 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul talks about his, his care for the, for the Thessalonians when he was with them. And he says, he says a very interesting thing. He says, I was like a father with you, exhorting, and like a mother with you, nurturing. And you think, well, that's interesting. He's quite happy to say, to be a father, that's more of an exhortatory role. To be a mother... It's a bit more of a nurturing role. And yet I did display both towards you. Um, so there's there's both something which is inherent to being more male and something inherent to being female. And yet Paul does manifest some elements of both. So that's what I mean by don't exaggerate. Yeah, like, and the, the rest of the book is, is going to pull apart those differences a little bit more. Men and women are different, but don't caricature. So the only person you can call a man is you know the six foot five, and it basically looks like Jack Reacher or something like that, um, with a Bible under his arm. You know, is the ultra male uh, caricature. You can manifest masculinity in in different ways, and you know, some guys are more interested in reading books than in chopping down trees. It's okay, it's okay. But don't stereotype is what I'm meaning by that. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, let let's let's <laughs> can we just as you put it in your a helpful word celebrate the fact that God is a good creator. He made men, male and female, to complement, to fit one another. So here in the United States, um, you have maybe some maybe some surprising uh, uh, people echoing what you are saying, noting not only the same challenges in the culture, but the same answers. They're not necessarily arriving there um, from an expressly 
uh, Christian or biblical point of view. There's a guy named Scott Galloway who is a NYU professor of marketing, um, and he talks about this a lot. Um, and um, and so I wanted to lift him up in case you weren't familiar with him. Um, and then David Brooks has written about this in the New York Times, the crisis of men and boys. And um, and then we have uh, Senator Josh Hawley here who has a new book on manhood um, and and the manhood that he thinks America needs. I do think this is a conversation that a lot of people are having, and I really appreciate the way you are leading us into the conversation because you unpack these principles of what it means to be a godly man. So we're going to continue our conversation with Matt Fuller. The book is Reclaiming Masculinity. The principles are men and women really are different. Take responsibility. Be ambitious for God. Use your strength to protect. Display thoughtful chivalry. Invest in friendships. And raise healthy sons. We're going to talk about how we can make progress in those directions and how we can encourage the young men in our lives to progress in these positive directions as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post, how badly someone else sings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. We're talking with Matt Fuller. The book is Reclaiming Masculinity. How would you finish the sentence, what does it mean to be a man? And how would you finish the sentence, what does it mean to be a godly man? Or to be a godly man means. So we're talking about the principles that Matt outlines in this book and around this uh, larger topic of how stuck and strange and stranded um, young men in particular feel in the Western culture today. Um so maybe take us into another uh, another one of these principles, Matt. We've talked about men and women being different, but not exaggerating those differences, like taking taking them into account, but not not elevating necessarily one over the other. Um, maybe let's talk about um, responsibility. When you look at principle number two, like what help us unpack that from a from a Christian point of view? Sure, thanks, Carmen. The yeah, I mean, Genesis 2 is pretty, it really sets up the scene here in terms of taking responsibility. Um, men and women are, the man is created first. He's given the instruction to uh, protect and keep the garden, work the garden. He's given the command, don't eat from the tree. And um, uh, that is, that 
his responsibility is then seen in Genesis 3. He's the one who's held culpable. And then in the New Testament, Romans 5, he's held culpable. Uh, um, similarly, 1 Timothy 2, that, that responsibility, that leadership role he's had is uh, is held up there. So it's something that, that goes throughout the scriptures. Um, now, working that out is, is I mean, in one sense, that's an easy thing to say. Okay, there, there's a responsibility given to the man in Genesis 2, which isn't given to the woman. There's the, the two explicit ways the New Testament, the rest of the Bible, but it, 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 the New Testament works out, obviously, in marriage, Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife. He is to love her. She is to respect him. There is inequality, and yet there is a difference of role. And um, in case of any doubt, of course, 1 Peter 3, uh, uh, Peter can say explicitly to husbands, you know, treat your wives uh, as co-heirs of eternal life. Um, treat them with understanding. You've got to make sure to understand. So uh, I, got to, I don't want to jump ahead, but what says, if you ask me for a really simple one, Carmen, how do I finish the sentence? To be a godly man is to use the strength, leadership, courage that God has given you in the service of others. Mm. Um, and that those last few words, <laughs> that makes it Christian. And when you don't have them, that makes it toxic. Because there is an inherent uh, to man strength. I mean, there's a physicality. Okay, On average, men are stronger than women. Not every man is stronger than every woman. The Bible sets up this responsible leadership. Uh, there is a courage that's most to be, meant to be manifested. But it has to be in the service of others. So the reason the toxic masculinity became such a popular thing, something like the Me Too movement, there is power power in Hollywood or wherever it may be, used in the service of self. There is financial strength, financial muscle, physical muscle used in the service of self. That is not a biblical masculinity. That is sin. <laughs> um, but for a man to use his leadership, say, let's take it, just narrow it down in one example here, that within marriage, it is for the service of others. It is for the service of your spouse. It is for the service of your kids. Um, and take a lead gently. Now, 1 Peter 3, would again, you've got to make sure you understand your wife. This is not the domineering husband. I think there have been plenty of Christian marriages where this has been strength used selfishly. I want to do this. Our family's doing this. Um, that's, that's not what the Bible sets up. It's strength, leadership to serve. Jesus is, of course, the model. He's the servant king. Um, so yeah, it's working that out within your own marriage, within the, the to, you know, and I, it's, I'm nervous of overly projecting because different marriages work themselves out in different ways. Different healthy marriages work themselves out in different ways. But there's got to be something. There's got to be some gentle servant leading uh, in a marriage that should be obvious. Uh, you should be able to ask, if you're a bloke, you should be able to ask your spouse, do you, do you feel I, I lead this family? Yeah. Do you think I do so in a kind way, a gentle way, a way that serves you? Yeah. And that's what you want. Um, of course, loads of the times are going to be no. Uh, and you got to, you know, but then, okay, then you got to sort things out. You got to address things. Every marriage has those seasons, of course, but gently. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that the role of, of friends is so important here. Maybe just speak to the challenge that m some men at least face in making friends and they feel like right now they don't have a friend um and you talk about 
You talk about the barriers to this um, being time, exhaustion, pride, and fear. I also, I'm going to put isolation in there and then just sort of this lack of a sense of knowing how to make a friend. Huh. Yeah. I think um, you've got to go for it, I think. There's, there's no substitute. Sometimes you, you have to you have to take a little risk, don't you? Like in any relationship, mm, you have to have a little risk. Um, I do think as Christians, we, we have the great resources of friendship. Uh, we know we're sinners and fall short. So we expect that of others. We, we know we've got to forgive other people. Friends let us down just as everyone lets us down from time to time. Uh, but it, the, the, the fact that we're not expecting perfection in others means we should perhaps be able to confess uh, our sin suitably. Um, but you've got to be realistic, I think, in friendships. Uh, I think most but most of us, you know, here I'm 50, just about to turn 50. You, you, you carry two or three guys, or I think most people, friends with you throughout the whole of life. And then you have friends where you move. You move here, you move there. Mm. Uh, in circumstances, you change jobs. Um, and you can't be transparent with everyone. But to have a few, to have a few, you know, um, and it helps. It, it, your, your comment, it helps in with your marriages as well. I mean, I, you're married 24. Four years. The um, uh, my best man, or it, who's still important in our lives, I remember from day one saying to my wife, "Hey, look, if, if you ever got any, if you ever think I'm getting something seriously wrong, you go talk to Andy and tell him um, if I'm not listening to you, and he'll mm. come and sort of buff me around the head and say, "Hey, idiot, uh, you mm. need to address this issue. Come on." Um, so yeah, friends can help help you in those settings, but uh, I think you, you do have to be deliberate. Uh, you do have to be intentional, you know. If you if you want to carry two or three friends with you throughout life, you got to speak to them, you got to see them, um, you got to plan to go on holiday with them. So you can't do that with everyone, but you can do that with two or three. Um, you, can, you can plan that. It's uh, so good. It, what it, do you What do you and your friends What do you and your friend or your friends like to do? What would What would we catch you guys doing to have fun? <laughs> Well, they're, they're d- different friendships. I think different friendships bring you different things as well. Uh, I have one, fr- you know, one friend. Our families are good friends. Our kids are good friends. So we go on mm. holiday with them a lot, and that that makes life pretty easy. But he and I, you know, once or twice a year, we'll just take a little rucksack, take a tarpaulin, and uh, go and camp out for a night, or if it's pleasant too, um, and we just walk and chew the card and um, catch up on everything. Uh, That's so good. He and I both particularly useless on the phone we grunt at what we're sort of the caricature of a man how are you all right how are you all right how are things pretty good okay see you soon see you then we just can't do the phone but i mean we're useless on the phone so put us on a put us on a pathway oh it's fine we'll go for 36 hours and sort of jabber away non-stop um that's, yeah i'm not saying every bloke is like that but so, some guys are like that uh another one of my clo- another closest friend my best man we read books and talk about mm. them Mm. Um, we just it's a different friend and others I don't know what we have got in common but whenever I'm with them we just roar with laughter I don't know why probably a bit stupid things things we should have grown out of um, but different friendships are constructed around different things aren't they I think sometimes uh, yeah so I like that no I like that right and and then there are people who um, they're kind of like contextual friends we're friends in a particular context because we're sharing a particular stretch of the road 
um, you know, in a, in a particular season of life. And I, I appreciate that as well. Like what we have in common, we have in common for a period, but once that commonality, um, is no longer shared, it's okay for us to, uh, you know, to part ways as friends. Um, and so I, I, I just appreciate all of that, um, in, in the way you approach this conversation. Matt, what a delight to begin to get to know you today. Thank you so much for the conversation and for the book. You're most welcome. Don't forget, we've got some copies to give away of Matt Fuller's Reclaiming Masculinity. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. I was having a conversation recently about um, why Jesus was born when he was born. And, And I will just confess to you, like, the answer to that question is... God determined that time was full, like in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. And if you want the, you know, the a, a verse reference for that, I might direct you to Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. When, when the time had fully come, or when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. So what does it mean to live in the fullness of time? And what does it mean for time to be full? Let us um, open and receive the good gift of God in Jesus Christ. Have a great day and God bless. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.